Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of RZ Weekly, our weekly podcast about religious Zionism, modern orthodoxy, and whatever else is going on in the world. This week, we have a new Israeli government, Mazalto, which we're not going to discuss. We're not really a political, and there's not really much to say, we haven't done anything yet. But we are, as a community, especially here in Israel, and even from what we hear back in the United States, very ever so slowly, uh, um, um, facing the idea, the notion of returning to the Beit Knesset. Today, the Ministry of Health issued guidelines which would uh, facilitate the return to prayer in shul. And after two weeks davening at home, in the street, at home, again in the street, or for some of us at home, at home, at home, at home, uh, the prospect of returning to shul raises some interesting dilemmas and thoughts that we should probably consider. Um, the, in the McCorby we show this week, they had a whole symposium about it, about different attitudes and different thoughts about, about, the, about the nature of uh, being in shul and uh, participating in shul. So I think each of us, I want to ask each of us, what are your thoughts about returning to shul? Are you looking forward to returning to the shul or, you know, kind of enjoyed what we had until now? And is there a way, um, uh, or I would say it this way, are we going back to the way it was before? Or is there some hope that there's a way of fixing or repairing some of the problems that we had with Shul before, before we left the Beit Knesset? My name is Ruben Spolter. I'm here with Rabbi Malibravsky and Rabbi Johnny Salomon, as we are each time that we meet. And uh, I'm going to first turn to Rabbi Johnny and ask you, Rabbi Johnny, have you been in davening with a minion until now? Have you missed it? And are you looking forward to going back? Okay, well, thank you. Um, well, we've been in uh, some kind of lockdown for a period of about 10 weeks. And for the first couple of weeks, where it was appropriate to have uh, outside Minyanim, where people were spaced apart according to government guidelines, uh, then that, that's what I did uh, on Shabbat. Um, and since then, I, I haven't davened with a Minyan. Uh, only just now, where the laws have been relaxed to allow for up to 50 people, and I am I considering to, to re-participate. So it's been basically uh, two months of non-minyan tefillah, obviously davening three times a day. Um, and on Shabbat, our families had our own kind of mini-service, Kabbalah, Shabbat together, Shabbat morning laning. Uh, by the way, it just reminds me, I, I'm not a Balkaira, so the fact that I've laned uh, all the parashiot out loud has just reminded me how much we need to appreciate the endeavors, the efforts of uh, uh, of those who lane on a regular basis. So, do uh, have I enjoyed what's been happening until now? For sure, there's been something actually quite calming in the ability to find time every day to daven individually and as a family. At the same time, I very much do miss a Bet Knesset environment where we pray together. Of course, we pray together, each of us. By ourselves, we pray with people similar to us, but also we pray with people different to us. Although on Shabbat I live in a in a religious Zionist community, in the week a lot of the minyanim that I ordinarily go to are very very varied, and I miss that variation of populations with whom I generally daven, uh, and I'm looking forward to doing so. You ask, are things going to change? Um, I hope uh, an appreciation of a makom tefillah will be increased, an appreciation of the ability to come together for the sake of prayer and a certain greater respect for tefillah itself uh, will be heightened. So undoubtedly that's the case 
Um, uh, Wait, so that wasn't my question. My, my question is, do you hope? My question is, do you think? Uh, I think each community will, you know, approach this topic uh, um, based on their participants and their leadership. I'd hope that communities can be sufficiently reflective to recognize... Wait, actually, Johnny, it's not fair. I'm putting you on the spot. Let me ask it a different way. How, what, in your opinion, can a community do to to address... I mean, every show has its problems. You know, every show has problems that we know about. A lack of decorum sometimes, and a lack of focus, and sort of doing things by rote. What would you say are two suggestions that you would give to communities in order to not just go back to business as usual, but to somehow try and find a way to, to find some newness and to not to resume the, the old ways? I think it's a better way of saying it. It's not better than being cynical. Um, I, I'll, I'll give you one. Uh, let's start with one for a second. You know, uh, it is customary for people to say, when they come into the Bet Knesset. Some people do, some people don't. I think there's going to be a heightened appreciation of this notion called the Mikdash Me'at, the, the miniature sanctuary, the shul where we pray. Meaning for me, there are certain things which I, I wouldn't say I'd, I'd deliberately taken for granted, but certainly I won't be taking for granted. Um, uh, and that's that's definitely the case. Secondly, of course, you, though I've been davening uh, three times a day, etc., etc., I haven't uh, had a Kriyat Torah. I haven't seen a Torah scroll. I haven't heard a reading from a Torah You haven't scroll. had Duchening. You actually, haven't answered Kaddish. Uh, you haven't that's said funny. Kedusha. We've had all those things. We've had... Right. Well, well. just as a side, I live in a community where there's only two Levim. So I wow. get multiple Aliyot per week. And of course, I wash Karnim's hands, you know, on a daily basis. So that uh, relationship with, with Duchening, I'm not a Kayan, but nonetheless, uh, and I, I would, uh, you know, very enthusiastically wash the hands of Karnim uh, and I'll be very privileged to have regular aliyot, but not just standing that. Even those who, who don't have regular aliyot, those who don't have aliyot at all, that very sense of hearing from the reading of a Torah scroll, of when we see the Zotah Torah actually looking at Torah scroll, that sense of uh, connection to, to this uh, holy item, the Dvar Hashem, and, uh, and the, the most precious thing that we have in the Bet Knesset, that's certainly something which I miss and I'm looking forward to reconnecting. See, it's interesting. I actually had the opposite reaction. Now that we have, like, you realize that part of that, it seems to me, part of Chazal's desire to have these, these Torah scrolls was to ensure that every community had a written, the written word that they could read from. Whereas nowadays, you just pull out your Tanakh, you pull out your Chumash, everyone has ready access to unlimited amounts of, 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 the, of the written word. And as you said, you could read it at home, and I could read it at home, and it was a much more intimate reading. I interestingly, I miss a lot of things about davening. I did not miss the fact that okay, so they didn't read from a Sefer Torah, but, but so the guy read from a Tikkun. So you're saying so there's a there's a technical aspect that was missing. But for me, that wasn't didn't I didn't miss anything emotionally. In fact, I was kind of happy. He just read the Chumash. There was no rigmarole. There was no like balagan around a Sefer Torah or Aliyot or Mishaberos or any of that. It was just Torah reading. I don't know, it was just an interesting response to me. Molly, what did you, you have uh, said before on podcast that you dive in three times a day. You said you were saying Kaddish. Are you looking, are you still saying Kaddish? Are you looking forward to returning, not just because of the Kaddish, but to the shul communal experience? Uh, and and, um, and then I'll ask you the same question that I asked Johnny about the changes. Yeah, so my experience was that uh, I had to cut my Kaddish short 
because um, I was like, I, I was two months or a month and a half, I don't remember. I finished saying Kaddish, uh, Rosh Chodesh, um, Nisan. So um, you can kind of do the math about when I when I had to stop saying Kaddish. It was probably approximately a month before that. That was maybe a little more. Um, that was very painful for me, not being able to say Kaddish. Um, people had, you know, rogue minyanim, but I, I did not feel comfortable with that, and so I made a choice not to say Kaddish. Um, the, uh, by the day of my mother's actual yard site, there was already legal minyanim, so I was able to say Kaddish that day. Um, but as opposed to Johnny, we had we had in our backyard. Our backyards are like a row of houses, and so when it opens to an empty space. So it was very it was very conducive. Once it became legal, um, we very quickly had a legal minion. I had a lot of feelings about the um, tension around before it officially became legal when people were um, either doing things well, but if we're in our chatzay road, it's okay because what's the difference between that and singing Manashtana, right? Like if the government allows us to stand to go outside at 8.30 and, and all sing Manashtana together, what's the difference between that and us all standing in our chatzerot and singing Kabbalat Shabbat? I was a machmira, um, and I did not participate, and my family did not participate in those minyanim, but once it became absolutely legal, we had legal, we have legal minyanim with masks, now we have a whole, like, set up in our backyard. I, I joked that it's kind of like people who live very close to um, Muslim prayer, and they get woken up by the... Um, because that's how I feel every morning at 7.15 when I am cannot sleep because the minion starts and wakes me up and keeps me up. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny. I, um, I guess I, that's, the part, that's the price of being in a lone shoe. You're going to be that person that goes up. You please stop. You all please stop. <laughs> shut up. Shut up. Try to sleep. Um, but we've had actually for the past couple Shabbos with the Sefer Torah because again once it became formally a hundred percent legal, um, you know the twenty people with masks in the outside, they 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 people have been taking Sefer Torah to specific places. So we have one of the Sefer Torah. Um, I Ruby actually found it opposite. I found it very Maragesh when the Sefer Torah came back. Mm-hmm. Um, the actual Sefer Torah, right? To be able to kiss the Sefer Torah, they're not all touch it, but you know if you touch your sidor to whatever it was. Um, oh, there were all kinds of things with the masks. The um, I found the actual Sefer Torah very meaningful. I found the presence of the as the, as as Johnny was kind of implying that 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 um, you know object of kedusha being present was meaningful to me. All of that being said, I have mixed feelings. I don't miss Shul. I don't miss Minyan. I'm not looking forward to going back. I, I have to say, going to Minyan three times a day was exhausting. I, I didn't. I didn't find it fabulously inspiring. I found saying Kaddish meaningful in at particular moments, but I, I can't say that I find davening with a minion three times a day to be a better way for me to have a spiritually significant religious experience. Shabbos, different story, perhaps. Um, um, you know, so like there were nice things about it, as Johnny said. I I I I liked our backyard minion. I like being able to sit on my on my by my couch and hear them davening kabbalah shabbat. I liked um, um, the intimacy of it. I, I I'm not listen. Are there things I'm looking forward to about going back to the Knesset? Again, if anything, the social aspect. Um, but I have to tell you quite honestly, what what technicality is. I don't know how quickly we're going to get get that back. Like, I can't... Do you think they're going to really, really permit us to, like, 
hundreds of people in an enclosed space, how soon is that really going to happen? Maybe it will. If they do it, will I feel comfortable with people without masks? It's kind of like the school issues. I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to be. Um, but if there's anything I miss, it's seeing all my friends Friday night in Shul. Um, you know, that like, that social peace, which is not, I don't mean it in a, in a trivial social way. I mean, in a very deep social way. I mean, that sense of community. Um, perhaps I, I'll, you know, perhaps I'll feel a moment of, of tremendous inspiration when everybody's singing together. Um, you know, again, moments of Kabbalah Shabbat. Maybe I'll miss, maybe if we go back to our smaller Shabbos morning, where again, there's a sense of community. And I guess I'll end with, with something that, that uh, my husband said, which was interesting. Um, somebody had written a post about how badly they miss shul. And he wrote about um, how for him, shul is like um, the, 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 the staple of his spiritual experience. This is a person in America. And how it's the cornerstone of, of his relationship to his community and his relationship to God. And it all coalesces in that shul experience. And we were discussing how if for those of us who don't necessarily feel that way, then that's sad, that's a loss. And I, I guess that comes back to what you were saying, which is, I wish our shul experiences could be that. I, I'm envious of that man who has that type of a shul, which is not to criticize my shul at all. It's a fine, wonderful shul with a lot of wonderful things about it. But I can't say that um, I, I, I'm, I'm fabulously, I, 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 no, I don't miss it. Sorry. <laughs> Again, I'll probably, it'll probably be nice on a Friday night to go back, but I'll miss it. Okay. So we had, um, I'll just give you my, 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 it's not like I haven't had Minion. Yeah. We had, um, on and off. So first, uh, there were, I, I I actually clung to Minion as I I think I mentioned before. I think because people who, who are Minion people, it frames their day. It's just be part of who you are. My father passed away when I was when I was very young, when I was ten, and I went to Minion that that year, and that sort of, I guess, I don't, uh, engraved in my consciousness the idea of going to Minion. I never had a problem doing it. I always liked going. I always liked the old guys in Shul. Even when I was young, when I was a young kid, I loved them. When I was a rabbi, just loved them. Loved the camaraderie of it. I have it less here, but it was a it was a structure for my day. And more so on during the weekday, interestingly, than on Shabbat, much more so. In, in, in America, obviously, it was much more social than it is in, here in, in Israel. For me, I don't go for social reasons. I, you know, I go because it's a, like on, on Shabbat. I actually enjoy davening on Chol more than I enjoy it on Shabbat. I think, I don't, I, don't know, I don't know what my expectations are. I had hoped for some kind of transformation, but I think that has to come from within. I don't know if it's even possible. You know, I, 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 I I have very mixed feelings about the return, the return to shul, even though it's inherently a part of who I am and what my community is all about. I guess if I had my druthers, I would love to create some kind of chavura. I love singing in shul. I love singing on, on Yamim Noraim. I would love just to find a group of people who, who truly enjoy uh, you know, the, the musical experience together. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to see like, you know, some kind of gospel service where people are really yeah. singing and really find it spiritual. And like, I only get that on, on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur when everybody somehow lets that go. And I wonder why, why on Shabbat are they not willing to do that? Why are they, in a, where are you going? Where are you running to? But it doesn't exist. And I guess you have to learn, you have to learn to live with that. I would, I would add finally, like more and more, I find myself 
just unbelievably perturbed by the fact that the show that I daven in is is physically unwelcoming to women, to my wife, but to any woman, and that in order for her to see, she must be sitting in the front row. Just the way they constructed the building before we even got here was was completely indifferent. And and she's complaining about it, but I find it personally troubling that I daven in a shul that makes prayer unwelcoming for women. And... Uh, you know, what, what's the other option? Dive in somewhere else? It's not like there are many other shuls that are so welcoming to women in in Israel, unless you yeah. live in an Anglo community that that intentionally built a shul that way. I'm not sure what the answer to that is. You Can know. I say something yeah, about that? Sure, just sure. because um, I, 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 the truth is, we had a very interesting conversation in my house about the issue of women and tefillah. I, I dive in three times a day, so I, I very much uh, relate to your idea of it adding structure to your day. Um, and we had a really interesting conversation between myself, my daughter, and my one of my sons about um, women and um, minion and women and tefillah and what should we be asking of our women? What's, you know, like um, in a midrashah, for example, should they be educating towards davening? Should they be, let's say, let's say the obvious question to that is yes. So should they be educating the, the, the girls to be davening together in the Beit Midrash? Should they be bringing in a minion so the girls could be davening in a minion? Like, what exactly, you know, what, what type of a, what, how, what should we be educating our women towards for tefillah? So I, 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 I personally... Um, well, let me just believe- throw back to you. Why, in the, with the opportunities available, why wouldn't you want them to be davening tefillah with Tibor with all oh. the halakhic intended? Oh, right, so that's that was my son's question. It was like, well, I didn't even understand your, like, the, any other possibility. Right, right? right. Like, are, right, obviously, right, and and what I had to explain to him, this is coming from me, is that quite often my tefillah, it's much easier for me to have a spiritual experience bechidos than it is um, in a group, and that um, it's not clear to me that 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 I, that I always have a better davening in a group. Now, oh, I, I, I totally agree with that. By the way, I totally agree. With so that. then, so then it becomes the question of like, and then it becomes like a woman question, right? Like. Do we say to women, whenever you can avail yourself of a certain mitzvah that you're not obligated for, uh, it's better to do that? Like, if there's a minion, I have friends who really believe well, why, that. Why, why women? What, the, the, the whole nature of Johnny will tell us. Johnny, what is it? Am I, as a man, obligated to go down in, in, in a minion? Do I, am I okay, so even leaving that aside, oh, but, but before, you, before you, I just well, let me answer that, but I can just come back to this. I think it is an issue question about women, and then I'd like to hear Johnny, obviously. Yeah. Let me just finish, which is like, but it just, it, it's just a very interesting question to women, which is like, do we say to them, when you can, you should avail yourself of a mitzvah, or do we say to them, um, you can create your own spirituality and you can pick and choose what, you know, what's spiritual, because if we're going to force you, if we're not going to give you the benefits that are incurred with the obligations, then maybe we should give you the benefits that incur for not having obligations, which is kind of where I fall on it, but it's a really fascinating question. Johnny, yeah. answer the question. Am I obligated to go to Minion? <laughs> I'm not going to answer your question about what you're supposed to do. Uh, and I, I think there are plenty of Mamre Chazal that would tell you that uh, when when Minion's within reach, one should make that reach and go to Minion. Nonetheless, I've just made it very clear that out of personal fear uh, and, um, and a whole variety of other concerns, the right thing, at least in my eyes, was was not to join even Minyani that had currently been existing for the past few weeks. But, uh, uh, yeah, but, no, but we're, I'm asking out of spiritual, out of spiritual reality, not physical. Now you're afraid. Now it's healthier. A person simply feels 
I, I, my prayer is more effective, more, more spiritual, more meaningful, when I'm not rushed, when there's not a million people around me, when people aren't reading magazines, so look, when whatever, you know, consider all the things that are, that are going on around you. The truth is, Rabbi Shafaitin has a chuba book about this question. Uh, I remember I translated it many, many years ago because it fascinated me. Um, and uh, he basically says, if you can meet the minimum requirement of Kavanah B'Tfilah with a Tzibur, then you should go with a Tzibur. This, by the way, is itself one of those interesting um, points of tension between, shall we say, uh, Lithuanian uh, approaches to halacha and Hasidic. But I do want to return back to what Mali is saying, uh, both because of, I, have a, I suppose I have an opinion on that matter, uh, as a father of daughters, also I teach in a number of midrashot. In fact, the first time I ever got a scent of a minion for girls was when my grandmother used to do Kfar Saba, and on occasion I used to daven in Amana. Um, which is uh, a girl's ulpan. I was just a few minutes away walk from her apartment. And I remember going there and thinking, it's so strange. There's like 300 girls and like 12 guys. <laughs> uh, and yet we've got the front stage and, and they're over there. And it, it kind of, it was a curious dynamic. Obviously, this was on request of the Dan Halal of the school. And, and uh, since then, obviously, I teach in different midrashot and I spend Rosh Hashanah in Machon Mayan, where we also have a very small uh, group of guys leading the tefillah, and obviously uh, the girls very much participate wherever appropriate. I've, I've often wondered about that tension, um, and I think Mali's right, that that sense of, uh, I mean, it's freedom, liberation, or simply choice, to not feel obliged to have to work according to somebody else's metronome, shall we say, to, to dance according to somebody else's beat, necessarily, uh, seems to be a, a, a wise a uh, message and the one that I'm very supportive of. I mean, the great majority of my students... Wait, uh, why women? Why only women? You support it for men too? No, okay, I, it, the answer is it's, it's, a, it's a... Firstly, it's a different... I, I really I just don't see this as a gender issue. It's a different calculation. I don't see this as a gender issue. Someone who's looking for a spirit... I'm like, I'm not understanding. I'm, I'm trying... I'm, I don't see why you think that's a female thing. Ruby, you, you have to agree that... Ethos, oh, it's certainly sociologically. Johnny can give us the... This isn't, this isn't a Men are expected. Men can make a million, right? Women cannot, they're not counted as a quorum, right? No, I, so I understand it, that, but I'm saying, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about. So I'm about, saying men are raised that, that ideally you should go to, to minion. Women, it's not part of their halachic, um, I mean, again, maybe some women are educated that it should be, but, but to say, but I think your, you know, your question is an interesting one about like, and I think it's one that we don't ask often enough, and I'm glad that you're asking, and I really want to hear more from Johnny about it, about, do men really have to go? <laughs> like, like, question. I mean, I'm not going to have go. Clearly there's a difference between men and women, but, but it's an interesting question about men. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Johnny. <laughs> well, let's, we, we've raised a couple of points. So just to return back to Mali's point, I personally believe that, you know, a lot of people uh, pull out the Brov Am Hadrat Melech cards to basically say to women, you got to go to a service which has been led by guys because they're more than married. That's, you know, that, that whole question is itself fascinating. I think that card is pulled out too often, but though there are times where it is legitimate. And nonetheless, precisely because that obligation doesn't exist, um, I believe that especially where somebody is figuring out and forging their religious identity, reminding them that they have individual duties immaterial of other people establishing a quorum for prayer is critically important. And it's heartwarming on a regular basis to see my students. In fact, just now, I was leaving Give Up Washington, uh, students from the Midrashah there, you know, they were, they were davening Mincha 
and, and it's heartwarming that people are taking their time to, to daven. In fact, seem, oftentimes men don't realize that. You have this kind of, you know, you mentioned about the Islamic call for prayer. Guys often get that Islamic call for prayer, come from Indian. It takes a certain strength that when you haven't got that call, and still notwithstanding your business, if you've made a commitment to daven once, twice, or even three times a day, to do that, it, you know, alone, that's profound. Okay, I want to I want to conclude the discussion just by sharing something I, that I that I remember. It's interesting, like many communities or many families, especially when there's minion, don't daven as a family. The father goes early in the morning, and then the children don't want to go so early, and the youth go to the youth, whatever. And I actually found that in our family as well. You know, I I learned I, when I was younger, I used to force my kids to get up, and then I learned quickly that that is somewhat counterproductive and backfired in many ways. So I didn't. I stopped. I stopped waking my children up, and then I found myself the first Shabbat or two, maybe it was, just sort of diving by myself. And I would even compound that. There were many illegal minyanim around my community, so I was davening b'yichidut, hearing like all the different halals going on on Pesach morning. And I, I will tell you, I personally, I found it very painful. It was very hard for me. So I went to my children, I said, like, I need your understanding, I need your help. I need to do this as a family. And the next few times, as long as, like, until it was permitted to go out again, we had such beautiful davenings together. It was like, it was a very, uh, it's going to sound weird, it was a very special time that I will remember, I will cherish, that, that tefillah that we did together, and, uh, you know, and, and reading of the Haftarot together, and then, it was, you know, we did Shira Shirim together, and it was just something that, that, that's going to be lost, that we're not going to get back again, for good reasons, but for me, it'll be missing from, it'll be something that I'll miss. I'm sorry, Molly, you wanted to say something else, or that was it? No, I just. Sorry, you want to say No, no, I just wanted to say that first of all, we had the same experience. We had it on Kabbalat Shabbat, uh, you know, those those first couple of of Kabbalat Shabbat as a family. Um, was was I agree with you that the, and and I think that's symbolic of the larger thing. I think there was something about this whole time period um, when the whole family was together last week, two weeks ago. When did they go back to yeshivas? Time has no meaning, but I think it was last week. My my son, older son and daughter, both went back to their yeshiva, and uh, we were sad as a family. I mean, they were happy, and I'm happy for them. Um, but yeah, there was something very special about this time. Totally um, agree. Totally agree. My, my well, children to- went back. One of my sons went back today to his yeshiva, high school. And I was happy for him, and it's sad. You know, it's good. Well, just to let you know, we, we we've been davening uh, Kabbalat Shabbat uh, all together as a family. As mentioned, Shabbat morning, uh, my kids generally come down uh, just as I'm starting to lay, which has been lovely. Um, and part and parcel of my not joining the 19 people, which was where everyone's wearing masks, part of it was because it was further, further away from my family. Secondly, I'd not been 100% well, so I was just trying to be a little bit more cautious. But thirdly, I, I actually didn't want to disconnect from my family. I mean, joining that minion would mean my kids wouldn't be in a service because you had these very, very limited numbers. And for me, actually, I had a service taking place in my home. And until there would be a time when my girls would be davening in the same room as me, I'm okay to continue on as things were. So that was very much part and parcel of, or shall we say, my calculations. And it was Machazik, our family. It's been very, very beautiful to daven together Friday night, daven together Shabbos morning. Um, I'm a strong believer that, you know, a, a committed family is a davening family. We've always said that. Uh, and this has been, shall we say, put to the test and beautifully proven uh, over the past... Yeah, it's interesting, John, you mentioned, I just want to point out, and this is something we came across as well, I've been diving in a minute across the street for the past few weeks, uh, 
once or twice my wife came out and she tried to find a space, but there was no allotment. There's no like Ezrat Nashim, like some of the fa- like it just happens to be right. the way it was. There's no there's no allowance for any women's prayer at all. And so oh. now those are explaining the cloud. That's, I guess that's what happens to you in the Valam foot. The opposite. <laughs> that like again, also is because of our backyards, that like every family was dominating in its own backyard. And the families like the women were out there and the men were out there and everybody everybody was kind of in their own family space, but the, but it was clear that that, 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 that there was never gonna be a situation where you were gonna be not making space for women, which I find interesting. See, it's interesting. Well, we had a backyard for quite a while. And the, I would say this, while the rabbis in America totally disavowed the possibility halakhically of these backyards, because of a lot of reasons, tiruf of minion and things like that. So, I don't know. We, there, were, there was a lot of halakhic leniencies going on and who could see whom and my neighbors across the way had to stand on their mirror pesit so we, and, and the chazal could see everyone but we couldn't see it. Like, it was just, there was a lot of halakhic creativity going on. It was a very interesting thing that's worthy of discussion as well. The, the level of halakhic creativity and leniency that was allowed in many, many different areas. I wrote a small piece, of, for example, about Rav Shechter. He, he permitted the idea of, of being mafkir, your, your kalim, so you don't have to tovel them before Pesach over the internet. You could just write a Facebook post. He even wrote this. You could write a Facebook post saying, I'm mafkir my kalim, and then Rav Shechter writes, you know, you can... You, you, you can rely on that. And I'm like, well, you know, by the way, I'm, I meant to write back to you three, four weeks before he wrote that, Rav David Khan wrote basically something similar. As it so happened, the day before, somebody had asked me that, Shaila, a newly married couple. And I was like, I went through the sukhi of Agolas Kalim, and there were two, you know, there were basically two different days. And I was thinking, if only somebody would like, kind of give me a hand here, because this was still relatively new, all these kind of questions. And then from that evening, I see a, a handwritten tour of David Cohen, right? It was beautiful. It was like, oh, I, well, I, somebody whose ideas and, and, and rulings um, I generally, um, you know, and, and, and both not aligned with, but also profoundly respectful of, and so I passed it on. So you're entirely correct. There's been a whole co- uh, uh, collaboration of rulings, or sorry, not collaboration, a whole uh, uh, cluster of rulings which are fascinating. I myself have a folder on my computer called Corona. Halakha creativity of Corona and and the flag. I'm saying there was, people were just understood that that it was, you know, it was not a normal situation. And I dare say that Mali would argue that even in a lone shavuot, that when they go back to shul, they're not going to have family spaces. And that's, you know, we understand why that is. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. But I just want to say what back to one of the things that Johnny said, which I thought was quite quite beautiful in the way you described it. Right? It was like when you talked about how you made a choice um, to be with your family because of the value of that experience over being with a minion. And to me, that parallels very much this like women making choices about how they want to dive in and creating something very beautiful. And I, all I can think of is, let's say, at McDellos, where my daughter is now. So, so my daughter was describing how they do it, and I think everybody knows about Migdalos Slicho, right? Migdalos has really succeeded in, in doing both things. On the one hand, the, you know, Rabbanit uh, Esti, davening is a very big part of her ethos. Everybody knows. It's like, you know, it's one of Esti's things. And she educates the girls, certainly halakhically, towards two times a day davening and Ratsuri three times a day davening. And I think for her, she, she also... Ha, thinks that it's a value to, let's say, daven the Beit Midrash at the same time. So leave aside, right, the questions of yichidus, not yichidus, but they've created, Ruby talks about singing, 
such a beautiful um, such a beautiful culture of tefillah and, and and singing without men, right? Let's say on Friday nights. That's one of the things my daughter missed the most was was Shabbat. She said, you know, they went back to she went back last week, and she's extremely happy. Even though half her classes are on Zoom, what is she most happy about? Obviously, the the the, the culture and the being back with the community, but. Shabbat. She 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 was so happy with the singing, the singing on Shabbat. So for, it's interesting. I'm sure Johnny's. Yeah. I'm sure Johnny's house is like that as well. Our house is just we sing a lot. No, so Shabbat. do we. We just have such bad voices that <laughs> to compare to compare our you know, whatever. I'm just saying we also enjoy singing, but but it's but maybe maybe even because of that, because my children enjoy singing so much, they're very drawn. They both chose Yeshivot. I mean, obviously Shira. Whatever they chose yeshivot at, or midrashot at which the spiritual musical aspect is is very much um, a highlight, and 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 I I think that that's it's yeah. So it's then the question becomes: what, you said what earlier, happens to us? And we, I want to cut it up. Yeah. Stop here. What happens to us as communities that we don't continue it? That when we become adults, we're, we're too busy or too tired or no energy, and it becomes sort of passe, like. When you have a chazan come, or even a choir is not a chazan, to try to get people involved, so people just run through the exits. And I, I've seen it a number of times. Anyway, there's another discussion. We should actually have a discussion about music and singing in religious life. I think that would be a very interesting discussion. Um, Johnny is a musician, is a very beautiful musician. I, I've seen him playing on Facebook. So we should talk about that another time. I want to switch to topics. We're going to do something much, much lighter, which is called Books We're Reading. Molly, what are you reading? I read a lot of books, but I will talk about one book that I just started. It's called How to Have Impossible Conversations. Um, it's written by James Lindsay and Peter Bogosian, I think is how you pronounce his last name. Um, they actually have an interesting backstory, which I will not go into. If anybody's interested, they can Google them. Um, but it's a book about how to, in an increasingly polarized culture where people are becoming uh, more and more entrenched in belief systems, less and less open to um, hearing other people's opinions, more and more kind of emotionally invested in, in being right about their own perspectives. H how do we reach over those divides and have civil discourse, both individually and, and culturally on a larger scale? And it's a great book. And I highly recommend it. So far so good, I mean, it's good. Yeah, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll tell you one interesting point they make. They say, he said, they say, in the conversation, never try to convince the other person of your point. It, you know, it's never going to happen. So much better be open, be curious, seek to understand their point. Try to try to be to be empathetic and be curious about what they have to say. Um, then hopefully they'll do that and maybe slowly open your their mind to being possibly considering or doubt something that they've said. But if you try to convince them of your point, never going to happen. So never try to give over your message. I thought that was fascinating. Okay, Johnny. Uh, I'm still waiting for my copy of Morality by Rabbi Sachs, so I'm actually kind of in between books, although I did recently read uh, State of the Heart by David Crayman, who talks about some of the wonderful humanitarian efforts uh, performed by the State of Israel uh, in a whole many different ways. It's really a, a, it's a good feeling book and a, an inspiring book. Um, some of you may know I, I've been at least trying to learn and write something meaningful about Daf Yomi, so I'd say that's a, it's a fairly long book. Uh, that I'm, I suppose, midway, well, not right midway, a very, very small way through reading uh, and trying to um, grapple with and, and make some sense of. And that's basically uh, where okay. I'm at. Okay, so I'm, I, as soon as I, when we saw this Seger coming, I, I, 
somehow I got in. We we went. We watched. We were watching The Crown together. Yeah, you, Molly, did you watch The Crown? Ella Vadai. Okay. No, I mean, I haven't watched the last season because I don't want to watch stuff that I know about. It's going to frustrate me. Oh, I don't know. But- I just want to say I haven't watched the royal family. I, I follow. Don't ask, as you know, but from before, I follow all the news on the royal family. I can tell you everything that's going on. <laughs> my my daughter, she's like the biggest royalist, but because of that, I don't. So know I, I, was I was watching. Yeah, I didn't know that I was a royalist. Apparently, really, like, we're royalists. One of the, one of the yes, really like you know powerful figures <laughs> was Churchill. I was very taken by mm-hmm. Churchill. Oh, I watched the first few seasons. Yes, right. Churchill's really well done. So, yeah. so I I bought a book on book depository and actually got here right away before the before the second year. Called Churchill, Walking with Destiny. Very, very, very one of the more famous biographies about of Churchill. It's a thousand pages. I'm five hundred and something pages in, like you know, one of those dense, dense page books, like the like the Hamilton book. Crazy dense, really well written. Churchill was a crazy guy. I mean, like bullheaded, like you can't imagine. And just the the the, the events that led up to him and his refusal to kowtow, but his politicalization. It's really, I, I find it fascinating. It's a great read. It'll last me another couple of months. Highly, highly recommend it if you're interested. I was actually convinced, like, it's fascinating. Like, when World War II came along, like, everybody in, in, in the government hated him. Chamberlain hated him. Everybody couldn't stand him. But they realized that if they don't bring it, he's been fetching about the Nazis for so long, he'd been the only non-appeaser, that if they didn't bring him into the government, he'd be worse for them on the outside than, he would, than, than having to suffer him fetching on the inside. So they made him part of the government from the inside before World War II, which convinced me I was sure that Bibi was going to do the same thing to Bennett, because it was much better to have your 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 foils where you can control them than have them out of control outside. Which is why I still think it'll happen. I'll find a way for it to happen because if if uh, Bibi tries to do anything, Bennett's just going to rip another one. And we're even seeing now the Israeli press. There was like this beautiful like. You know, puff piece on Bezalel Smotrich in Idiot Achronot this morning. I don't know if you saw <laughs> that. Like, what? All of a sudden, they, they love Bezalel Smotrich? Like, what? What is going on? And that's gonna, Bennett's going to have this slathering pieces as well, and BB won't be able to stand it, which is why he's going to be he's gonna be offered some nice post to get him into the government. That's my prediction. If anybody wants to agree with me or disagree with me, you're welcome to send me an email. Contact us on Facebook. I want to thank Rabbi Nimali Brevsky, Rabbi Johnny Salomon. Thank you all for listening. Thank my son, Patakas Walter, for our music. This is obviously weekly. Please do us all a favor. Rate us on iTunes or your, your favorite uh, app so more people will become aware of this amazing podcast. Thanks, everybody, and have a great week.